Hello, podcast people. Chris here with another installment of the Make It Podcast. And before we get to today's guest, I want to encourage everyone to go to our website at www.bonsai.film. That's B O N S A I dot F I L M and click on the resources link. There you'll be able to join our creative community and be given access to an ever growing slew of film related resources and tools at your disposal, of course, at zero cost to your wallet. Again, go to www.bonsai.film to enjoy and leverage our ever growing resource library, amongst many other things, like all of our past podcast episodes, for example, all the books that have been mentioned by our creatives that have interviewed and had conversations with us. You can find those books, purchase those books, etc. It's really awesome. If you visit us, our promise is to always bring you value and never waste your time. And now, on to today's guest. We have filmmaker Logan Christopher. Logan Christopher is an award-winning director and cinematographer based in Nashville, Tennessee, and founder of media production company Stormlight Pictures, LLC. He started working on sets at the age of 14 and made an early commitment to learning every process of film and media production. His experience ranges from feature film production and music videos to national brand campaigns and has had work featured in CMT, Rolling Stone, Cinemax, HBO, Maxim, and other outlets. He founded uh, Stormlight Pictures uh, on the principle of creative, adaptable, and affordable content for artists and storytellers of all backgrounds and genres. And Bonza first worked with Logan in 2015 on the short film Mr. Johnson's Julius Caesar, which uh, was directed by Leslie Powers and uh, was starring Chris Winty. So without further ado, I give you the only guy I know that could give you the history of the state of Maine and the history of hip-hop all in one conversation. Filmmaker Logan Christopher. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film Get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. Guys, this is Logan Christopher. I'm a director here in Nashville with Stormlight Pictures, and I uh, do a lot of music video content, a lot of short films and television media, and uh, had the opportunity to work with a lot of really cool people, and like Judge and pieces like Tales from the Toro Bus, and uh, uh, now doing a lot of music videos and a lot of cool pop creative content in Nashville, and developing some television content of our own. Um, so a lot of exciting things. I'm I'm stoked to talk about. Thank you so much. And this is um, a real treat for me because, Logan, you were actually one of uh, the first uh, cinematographers that we had worked with closely 
um, when we started or after we started our business in 2014, there were a few before you, uh, but um, you, you're definitely up there on the Mount Rushmore for us on, on working with people, understanding what's needed, uh, understanding professionalism, what that looks like, and um, what we could come to expect from working with future cinematographers. So, so well, pumped to have you on. And, and I'm very flattered. I appreciate you asking. And it's been great to work with you and hopefully we'll do a lot more in the future. And I know we will. I know we will. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting because I've been just following your journey over the past three years and just watching you iterate and iterate and iterate and get better and better and better and better. And your content is better and better and better. Your use of color is so, I think, remarkable. Um, and I think you've uh, done something that's fairly difficult and something that Nick and I really pride ourselves on, which is you found a niche, um, a carve out that, that no one really does what you do the way you do it and as well as you do it. So well, I appreciate that. Thanks, man. No, anytime. And, and so uh, you're a really young guy and, um, that's even more interesting that, that, um, you're doing, uh, so much and, and achieving what you're achieving, um, really at a, at a pretty young age, um, you come from, and, and we're born, I believe, in Rome, Maine. Correct. Yeah. And 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 we're talking about a town that has a thousand people in it. Yeah. Um, this is a small place. How how did you come out of Maine, deciding, hey, you know, I want to be a creative because everything that I know about Rome, Maine, and the surrounding area says you probably should be not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's been interesting to watch that town, you know, not develop. Um, yeah. And I, I was actually born in Utah and my family um, decided, you know, it, I came from two parents that were kind of black sheep from their family and four kids and neither of them, you know, they had me when they were 16 and 17. So, really their life became their children and they grew up in kind of a bad neighborhood in Utah and decided they needed to find a place that was good to raise children. That was their main motive. They didn't know what they were going to do for work. So they literally threw a dart at a map and landed in Maine and just That's picked up, picked up three kids and a one-year-old baby and drove across country. And, um, but growing up in Maine, so that's what most of my memory is, um, was, is great. Um, it was, I got a real sense of community. I got, you know, it's, it's a very like hardy people up there. Um, yeah. very pessimistic, but hardy. Uh, <laughs> um, and Agreed. I, I went into kind of like a really weird high school that was very, um, was very creatively motivated, which I joked that like, we didn't have a traditional click in my high school. It was like the guy leading the play, like the, the musical theater was the equivalent to the quarterback. It was like, it was a very weird situation. So I, I had the luxury where, and I, I say this all the time, like my only advantage in life to this point has been that I've known what I wanted to do from a very, like from since I was 12 years old, like I, I knew exactly what, what I wanted. So I always had a forward 
I always had a direction I was going towards. And so even when I was, you know, 14 and just had a little handy cam, like I was always moving in that direction. So by the time, you know, I taught my high school teacher how to use Final Cut. Like <laughs> I, I was always like advanced, trying to figure out how to do it on my own and trying to figure out how to do that. So Maine was limited um, in kind of what was available to me. But it's also, I grew up in a community where, and now having the opportunity to work, you know, all across the country and in big creative markets and understand that if you want to shoot in a coffee shop in Los Angeles, they completely understand the value of that. <laughs> so you're going to have to negotiate it. Um, whereas in Maine, it was still cool. Like if you wanted to, you know, bring people in and make a movie with people, it was still exciting and still, you know, everyone was still really supportive. Um, and so that was cool coming from that community is like, if you were passionate about something that was other than logging or lobstering, mm-hmm. people were stoked to support you. Um, yeah. so that's kind of, that's, that's what I, what I had to build on. And you went to Mesolonsky high school. Is that correct? Did I pronounce I did. that correct? You did, you did some digging, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is an interesting place where, um, and, and by the way, I've been to Maine about four times. Cool. All right. And I am astonished by the delta between the cost of an egg sandwich and a cost and the cost of a lobster roll. I don't <laughs> I don't understand the that like so for example, you can go to Maine and get pancakes or egg sandwiches for breakfast for about thirty percent less than they would cost anywhere else nearby. Definitely. Yep. But you can get a lobster roll and it's fifty percent more expensive than in Baltimore. Right. <laughs> Explain yourself, Maine. I know it doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And also they got the lobster off of the back of Danny's truck out back. So I don't, I don't really know like how their, that upcharge has worked in, but. Oh, now I'm questioning all my past experiences, Logan. I know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, so you have three sisters, uh, I believe. I do. Yep. And, and, uh, and you're the youngest of, the, of, of them or the oldest? You're the, I'm oldest, the oldest, right? Yeah. You're yeah, the oldest. I'm the oldest. I have three younger sisters and yeah. So it was just me and my dad and a bunch of girls and even the dog we had growing up was a girl. <laughs> so <Right>. <laughs> it, was a, it was an interesting, um, your, your dad needed you more than you can even imagine. Uh, I had a similar situation where really? I was the only balancing of testosterone in my house for my, for yep. my dad. And, and so I assume you put your sisters, I want to talk about why you were always so driven, like why you and how you always knew you were going to do this. And then, maybe get into, I, I'm wondering where your sisters, your extras from day one. Oh, definitely. Always. Yeah. Um, and they, I actually got a text from my sister yesterday. Uh, my baby sister was getting married. She texted me cause we made this, I made this infomercial with her when I was like 13. Um, it was this like comedy infomercial and my parents still use it to this day to like torment her. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so she was like, <laughs> why, why did you do that to me? So I, I put them through hell, I'm sure. Um, and always like, you know, toys and puppies and stuff that we had making little claymations and all that. Um, a lot of that, but, uh, I just, I had a, my other great luxury, which I know that a lot of people don't have, especially people coming in creative families. A lot of people do, but a lot of people don't have the support that I grew up with. That was like, if I wanted to be a garbage man and I really believed in that my parents would have been led the charge for that. Um, and that's huge. And they, you know, like my parents got 
their GED when they were in high school. They're, they they were always, I mean, they're now in their 40s and an empty nest and figuring out what they want to do with their lives now, <laughs> um, right. which is super interesting. But I, I had a really good support system. And, and probably I, I realize now how negative that can be to a, you know, 18 year old embarking on the bright world when he thinks he can do anything and you realize the world's a lot harsher. Um, so definitely leveled since then <laughs> through, uh, uh, through the creative journey as, as we all do, but. Yeah. And, and you mentioned support and it's a really great thing. It's a really great thing. And, and we've talked to a lot of creatives that from day one had that support, whether it be the mom that told them you can do anything or from the dad who bought them a camera for Christmas one year and, and the rest is kind of history. So how was, was that what happened with you? Like, when did you get your first camera to either take pictures or, or do photography or, or shoot a movie or both? Well, I got, uh, so my uncle gave us, um, he, my uncle was always kind of the member of the family that always had the latest, newest thing. Mm. Um, and so he bought like a high eight, uh, camcorder. Um, and it was like, he handed it down to us cause he had bought something new. Um, and finally it was like, I had a camera. <laughs> Finally, I'd, I'd been bugging my parents for it for like I two years. I think I have an old high eight in my storage area somewhere, believe it or not. That's amazing. That's, that's amazing. I wish I still had mine. I don't. Um, one of those got rid of it in college and, but yeah, I wish I'd kept, wish I'd kept it, but shot so many just outrageous little shorts. And now I realize that there's definitely some like creative thread <laughs> Through that, 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 that mm-hmm. stuff's still, still in a lot of my work. Um, but, uh, so that was the beginning. And then my grandmother. And, and how, uh, sorry to interject, and how old were you no, when not your all. uncle passed that down to you? I was 12 or 13, I think. Um, okay, good. Yeah, so, yeah, so it was like right when I was going into high school, like eighth grade in high school. Um, and so, like, I, I wrote my first uh, feature my freshman year in high school. Um, and so like we started like shooting scenes and stuff for that and, you know, never really got finished, but, (laughs) um, and, uh, just basically I, I know I burned, I I had to get rid of that camera because I literally burned the sensor on it. (laughs) Like I, I shot on it constantly. I, I love that, that, um, for me, that was like, uh, Christmas when I was, I think 12 or 13, my dad bought me a, a, like a keyboard that was big enough and sounded good enough to allow me to make music. Amazing. And then from there, I basically took one month of piano lessons and blew through that and was like writing my own music, like on the 31st day. Um, and it's just something that catches you once you get it, then you just, mm-hmm. it either, if it connects with you for me, it was like, I needed somebody to talk to and I didn't have that person. So I could talk to the piano. I could, I could, right. I could have that piano. You can play the same song five different ways and, and, it, and, and you get five different emotions from it. Yeah. And I think when you're really great at camera work, the same is the same is true. Um, you can really pull emotion uh, just by changing, you know, the way you shoot something 
the perspective in which you shoot it from. So uh, I love that you fell in love with it there. And then I think one of the things that sets you apart, Logan, is that you also have a really good sense of of media, of this of, of the media, the, the modern world of social media, of creating media, of creating content and what um, people are looking for um, when it comes to content creation. So for example, you might shoot someone's music video, but then you also might give them, you know, hundreds of shots or years worth of shots that they can use in their feed, um, which really um, you you probably give it away too cheap. I mean, I know I know that they, they pay, yeah. but, but for, for the for the output people get, I think people don't even know how to calculate how much value they're getting out of their their brand awareness in the long run of their business. So. Um, I assume you learned that part of it from, uh, university of Southern Maine. Um, uh, part of it. Um, and my, my university experience was interesting. It was similar to my high school experience a little bit where I, I came into the program and it, it wasn't, you know, it was kind of more of a media program than a film program. Um, and, right. uh, kind of was way beyond the intro principle just cause I'd been working on sets. Like I'd found my way onto sets and, and been doing enough at that point that I, I, I knew how to light a chroma key. I knew how to do things that like they teach you an intro in media. Um, and so they, luckily my professors picked up on that and were just like, well, here's the keys, like do what you need to do. And so that was four years of school for me was them like lightly guiding me to kind of let me make my own mistakes. It was amazing. Um, but I, I think the time that I started is like important too, because I think I've just naturally like when I bought a five B was about when everybody else did. Mm -hmm. And so it was about during the curve of where everything started changing. So I needed to learn how to create in the new way, not in the old school film way where you, you know, burn as much money as you can. Like I had to figure out how to create an image that with limited resources that would stand out. And then, I, you know, from creating YouTube content early and working with a, like working with actors and musicians and just such a diversity of artists that I, I just kind of got a good feeling like, like I've been kind of on the pulse of it while like I, I got to the top of the wave and I've just been riding it ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, and just for clarity for the listeners, you mean the, the Canon 5d, correct? Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that was, you know, kind of technologically as most film people will know that was kind of where the commoditization of, uh, of cinema, I guess you could, you could say, um, Mm -hmm. where it became tangible, um, for a lot of people like me who were, you know, just had a lot of ideas and a lot of ambition, but not not the resources to make something. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, and it's been a lot of trial and error to get to this point and working with a lot of different kind of people. And since I've, yeah. And I, I would say even in my media knowledge has been the past like three years working with labels and PR companies and people and like just getting a sense of what, what people need. And also knowing that like in today's world, spending all of your budget on one project is not smart. You need to like diversify that and get as much content as you can so that you, you keep someone's attention for a long time. Like, you know, so that, that that's is so that is so nuanced uh, of an observation. That is right. that that's a big deal. Um, so many people 
still are doing it the old way and still don't understand that very factor that social media now, because the world is on the internet at scale, um, social media is the long game. And so your projects have to have some have to have some legs that, that can run that long game, at least for a period, period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of saying, well, this is the budget for this film project. Um, you come in and say, okay, we'll do some video. We'll do some photo. Um, you know, we'll do, we'll do some, some shorter video and we'll just combine it into one package, one price, you know, one output. I think that's, I think that's super nuanced and and that is that is why you've you've been able to carve out this this niche um for yourself in in my opinion but but because this is sort of a learning and 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 um you know pulling out of, of methods sort of conversation and yeah. podcast I'm, I want to dig in a little bit on what uh, what did it take or, or what were the, the some of the specific a- aspects of um, learning how to do it on a lower budget? How What were some of the specifics around taking something and saying, how do I get more out of something for the same price as I used to spend on less? Uh, right. And how did YouTube play a role in that? Right, yeah. Um, so I what I say is one of my biggest lessons, um, as a creator and especially as a like director and cinematographer has been to learn, um, good enough learning the concept of that. Um, because I, you know, you see so much work and so much great work by other people and you, you know, hold your own against theirs. And, and like you said, with the piano, everybody, you could, 10 people could shoot the same scene with the same exact direction and it can come out completely differently. Um, and so you can't always do that. And especially with YouTube content and when you're turning things out so quickly, you can't always put all of your attention into the specifics. You have to, you have to kind of take a broad stroke on things and do the best you can to make everything as great as you can. But you also need to understand that a lot of this content people are going to watch once. And so they're not going to notice the small details. Um, and so once you realize, once you get to a point where you're like, if, if what I'm creating is authentic to the artist in the story, then I'll let a couple little mistakes go. Um, and one of my biggest things too, was like things like continuity and things like, you know, um, set detail and even some certain lighting scenarios that like may not be perfectly ideal, but you got to get it done when you get it done because the time is what matters. And a lot of those things, like you just learn that, getting the content, telling the story is more important than making it perfect because people want to hear what you have to say. They don't care that it's lit better than the other guy. Yeah. And of course, there, there as you go, a lot you get better of, at doing both. Right. <laughs> that That's a really great point too. Uh, Cause you don't yeah. tend to make the, the same optimization mistakes over and over and over again. Right. And there are a lot of like big conversations on the internet about lighting and about, mm-hmm. Um, there are lighting nerds out there, Yeah, but I do wonder, is that just for our peers? Because the lay, the lay viewer probably, hmm, 
Uh, so I'll, 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 I'll make this example. You don't have to write your screenplay in the hero's journey format, right? You right. don't have to do that. And we wouldn't in a consult recommend that you do it necessarily, but we would tell you, think about putting it in that format because it dominates cinema. If you want the biggest bang for your buck, that's not always what you're optimizing for. Right. But if you're saying you want to have a commercial success or you want your film to sell or appeal to the broadest audience, it might be a good idea to use some elements from Joseph Campbell in your story. Right. Right. Um, so that's what I think about uh, when you give that example. It, it's more about appealing to the sense. It's more about psychology. It's more about appealing to the sensibilities of the viewer than being mm-hmm. super um, attentive to, um, you know, is your lighting more purple or is it more magenta? Right. Um, yeah. And my, my goal through everything has always been, and I think it is the goal is production is, is a crazy, wonderful process, but it's in the way, like you're, you're always trying to get it out of the way of telling the story. And so, by getting bogged down in the details of everything, especially when you're doing 10 jobs yourself or with, you know, a crew of one to three people, which is, you know, 75% of what I do, you, you have to just focus on the story and let that, let that rule and know that like an audience is not going to care <laughs> <And> about <laughs> certain things that you might care about. And that's, it's fine, but it's been a, it's been a really important lesson and it helps in that where you're like, okay, well let's do two days. And so, for example, we do this thing where for if somebody comes in with a new single for their music video, we'll structure like a behind the scenes content package, a photo shoot in the setups that they're already paying for because they're paying for hair and makeup already. So we're going to optimize that time. We're going to have them on set with us for the photo shoot. We're going to, you know, for doing a backdrop, we're just figuring out how these crew roles can be, be more valuable. Um, and so doing like full plans is figuring out where, where do I need to put my attention to detail and where can I, where can I lean on the story or the time or the authenticity? Yes. That's very, very wise. And, um, it comes through in in the work. I I love that advice for, uh, filmmakers that are looking to emulate some of the things that, that you've been able to accomplish. Um, you came out of college and you started, I believe when I met you, your company was called St. Night Media. Is that right? Uh, Night Street. Or close. Night Street. Uh, Night yeah, Street. which was, so uh, the apartment I had in college was on Night Street. So it was just kind of became this thing. Now, um, Night Street in in Maine, that's mm-hmm. named after, is, is, that a, is that all about Christopher Knight and the, like the legend of Christopher Knight? Possibly. I, I hadn't actually really thought about it, but it could be. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and so for, I guess, the listeners, Christopher Knight is this notorious character from Logan's hometown uh, in in Rome, Maine. And apparently he was guilty of over a thousand burglaries and <laughs> through, through, <laughs> through his ill-gotten gains was able to live as a, as a man of the land in the forest for 47 years without having any human contact. Which Did is I get amazing. that about right? 
you did. And the, the thing is, um, so where I live, so it was like 30 minutes to school for me, mm-hmm. 30, 45 minutes. And so where I lived was actually less than a half mile from where he, his camp was. Um, so like some of my neighbors and stuff would talk about getting things stolen, but it was always just this, like, like literally for five, six years, it was always this joke. It was he, like, he was like Bigfoot. Yeah. And like when, so when we, it finally happened and the story broke, everybody was just like, wow, like <laughs> how, how can this be real? But yeah, so I literally, that's where I grew up. If you need the context of it. <laughs> so, it's so amazing. you, so yeah, you, you were at, uh, you started your first media company and what was the intent when you started that? Did, was it the same as it is today? Uh, different. Um, it was more, so in Maine, there wasn't a lot of opportunity. So there's probably, which I, I found out really quickly, there's very few production companies that, I mean, there's just very little work. So there was two or three production companies in the area, and one of them made infomercials, and one of them did all the lottery commercials. And then, there, and it was like, if you hadn't been in one of those jobs, you were never going to get in, mm-hmm. if, you, if you didn't know any of these. So it was more just like, I, out of necessity, I mean, when I was a sophomore in college, I got, I rented an artist studio and I just, cause that's kind of how I've always been where I'm like, I'm going to figure out my own way to do it. So I I, stupidly while I was in school rented office space, Mm -hmm. um, and had a little artist studio with a green screen and started doing content and started booking clients. And I actually beat out one of my professors for a client, my, my senior year. And that didn't go over well, Mm -hmm. but we, um, so that was, was kind of the the it was just I always had to out of necessity carve out my own piece. Yes. And a production company was like was my way to do that at the time was what what I thought. But I never really intended to do to start a production company. It was never really my intention. It just kind of was like it was the only way that I could create things my way um without because there's always the doorway of, you know, going through the DGA program and working in the union for 20 years and finally getting to make what you make when you're in your mid forties. Um, and that never really appealed to me. I, you know, back to the brazen confidence that I had. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so night street was that it was honestly, you know, it never got fully LLC or anything. It just was this DBA I was working out of. And it was a really good network where, I had a little bit of legitimacy with some stuff that I was doing in town. So it was kind of my doorway to the community to be like, Hey, I'm starting something. And so the actors and stuff in the area and some really great creators like came to me just out of the fact that they were like, well, you're trying harder than everybody else is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was kind of the value of it that I see now was that I, I just was trying to create my own little community um, where there really isn't one there. It's all segmented. So how in the world did you get down to Nashville? So I was in LA for a minute. Um, so I was helping that's out right. with the festival to, out that's there. That's right. You went out to LA first. That's right. I did. I was just working with a festival. A friend of mine was going to, uh, I was doing a film program in USC and I, he was there for just a like semester abroad type situation. And so I went out with him to kind of help out with this festival that he was working and got to do some really cool stuff. Got to like sit with Howard Kazanjian for a while and do like cool stuff when I was 19, which was great. Um, and then we were, I went back and I just didn't, I didn't have that same sense of community there and growing up on the East coast, personal relationships were super important to me. And I, I'm tend to, 
I tend to be a very like emotional person when I speak to people. Like I want to get to the core of who a person is. Mm-hmm. And that was very difficult in LA. And I, I just kept trying and I couldn't do it. And I was like, I don't know how you how I could create with these with the majority of people that I was I was encountering. And I know there are people without that type of shallow conviction in LA. I there just didn't are find people them. with souls in LA. There are. Saying. I just didn't find them <laughs> while I was there. And so uh <laughs> and I I'd done a lot of work in New York because I was kind of the doorway in Maine was whenever I had, I was also like in college was always applying to jobs outside of just trying to get on sets no matter where I could. And so there was a couple nights where I would like drive to New York and make it back to class like the next morning to go work something like just whatever I could get any experience and work with whoever I could. And so I had like a network in New York where I was like, well, that was an option too. And Atlanta was starting to blow up about five years ago. So I was like, well, Atlanta could work. And I fell in love with a songwriter and she was coming to Nashville. And so I was like, eh, well, I'm going to move to, well, I'll, I'll check out Nashville and see from Nashville to Atlanta and see how that could work. And ended up finding the kind of the community here that I was looking for. Um, and I saw the potential that Nashville had. And coming from a town that is literally like it's a mill town that there's no progress, there's no like hunger. That like entrepreneurial entrepreneurial spirit that Nashville has is alien there. It, it it didn't exist. So coming here to something where everybody was a transplant, the city didn't belong to anyone. Mm-hmm. It wasn't you know everybody was here because they wanted to be. Everybody was here because they had a they had a goal or they had a dream, and that was like super intriguing to me. And so kind of ended up falling in love with it really quickly. And I didn't finish school. Um, I left a year before cause I was working during school. So I was going to have to do it for five years. And I realized that my degree wasn't really going to benefit me. Um, coincidentally, did you happen to read your junior year, the fountainhead by Ayn Rand and did that <laughs> motivate you to leave one year <laughs> early? <laughs> no, but, uh, I assume that would have expediated things. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah. So coming to Nashville, I was trying to find a job, mm-hmm. you know, you needed a four year degree. And so it ended up being this, like I had to start picking up freelance work and doing whatever I could just out, just out of necessity again. And, uh, that kind of led me here and and Nashville just in the growth of like, since I've been here has been insane where there was so much, so much available when I got here that, that I was able to kind of catch stride with that faster than I thought I could. Yeah. That's, that's also, I think, I think that's true too, that, that Nashville has gone through this transformation over the last decade that you really have to be here to understand it. And, and you can read articles about it. It's kind of the it city right now. Mm-hmm. But to be here is a totally different experience as you watch neighborhoods you would never go in after 8 p.m. become too expensive for you to eat at. Uh, right. Like, right. Like the gentrification in general uh, has been incredible. But I think what's also interesting about the way it's been gentrified, it's that it's been done in this really um, artful way. With with yeah. with, a, with a really strong sense of of art and architecture and purpose that has differentiated it from like your you know everyday 
um, investors coming in and, and rebuilding an area. Um, I mean, there are risks taken, right? Um, especially yeah. in the downtown area, you look at the, the bridge work, the architectural work that's done there. Um, you look at the Music City Center and the way that came out. That's just, an, to me, that's an architectural feat. And yeah. it's so beautiful. It actually looks like music if there can be such a thing. So, um, yeah, I, I, I totally get it. Um, so uh, you started your, your production company in the way that people say they have a record label and then they <laughs> kind of fake it till they make it. Uh, Essentially, but, yeah. Yeah. But and that led you to meet the community here in Nashville, go to L.A., meet the community here in Nashville. And that led you to a little project called Mr. Johnson's Julius Caesar that we, that we worked on together. So I'm curious, how did that happen for you? How, how did you become the, the DP on that? Yeah. I mean, I've always had, um, so what I do now even is I just always try to get on sets and fill whatever role I could. So whether that was a director or a DP or coming in on something. Um, so I met, uh, Leslie, um, so Leslie Powers, Powers now. Yep. Yeah. I think she was still surdy at this point. Yeah. Um, so met Leslie and we were, we were chatting and I knew some other friends with her of hers. Um, and so we were trying basically, I, I think somebody was unavailable and she was like, well, do you think you could pull this off with, you know, obviously I think we were, we shot that on a C100, I think, mm-hmm. um, was figuring out how to, how to make it work with what we had. Um, and so I was like, well, I think I can pull that off. <laughs> um, and yeah, and met you and Chris Wente and just a great, great group of people. And just, I still, I still love that project. You know what I was shocked by? I was shocked that we didn't get at least one shot, one cutaway, one pan, just something where we could get that pool in that backyard integrated into the into the film oh yeah because it was such a cool space like you you like i don't know if i've ever seen anything like it since um yeah almost there was a there was a beauty to it but then there was a sense also that it was completely um sectioned off and forgotten about right yeah so yeah there was something mysterious about it maybe um Maybe we go back and add. So. Yeah, <laughs> so man, we'll, we'll just get a pick, we'll get a pickup or two. We'll yeah. Just get a quick pickup on that. Maybe we'll do it. Yeah. Um, and, and, <laughs> and you rolled from there, and that that short did really well. It got picked up uh, at the National Film Festival. I think we took ended up taking sixth place out of you know a thousand shorts that were entered that year, and was really proud uh, of that. Yeah, there was a for, lot of good shorts shorts that year too. There were, and we had to compete against Maki and mm-hmm. Drew Maynard and all these people. So uh, it was it was great that it that it did so well, and and frankly, for a lot of first time directors and and um, you know actors and DPs and sound people, like everybody's, you know, it was kind of their first swing or first or second swing at something. I was really proud of of, of how it turned out. Um, you, you went from there. Now you're. Uh, uh, your company's called Stormlight Pictures, yep. um, which um, is a full service house, full service suite. Uh, people can hire you to do 
a myriad of things. You guys consider yourself a boutique shop. So Mm -hmm. that allows you to be adaptable and flexible to, to the project, whether it be a huge project, like a feature film or something a little bit smaller, uh, for, for a business or for someone's personal social media, or even, you know, like, like we've mentioned uh, a lot, uh, music videos, artists, independent artists, and, and I love the way you support independent artists. So knowing that this podcast and this conversation is, is really for those independent artists, um, what were the yeah. two best pieces of advice you've received, uh, so far in your career and, and who did they come from? That's a, that's a good, it's a good question. Um, back to the good enough has been important, but a big thing with, I guess one of the big pieces of advice has been, goes back to the screenwriting principle that a hundred thousand screenwriters are writing in LA right now in coffee shops, writing their screenplay, but only a thousand of them have actually finished one. And so that was a big thing for me when I, like move to this town where there's thousands of people making things, but a very small percentage of them are serious and not, not only serious, but like will outlast the others. And so that was important for me to just kind of frame, frame that the, the, the numbers are not as daunting as you think, um, in production at all, in any creative field, in, in music here, in, you know, I, I work with a lot of designers and photographers and the reality is, a lot of people are going to give up and mm-hmm. that's, it's, it's sad and hard because it's the hard thing about being an entrepreneur or being a creative has nothing to do with the, the, the work. It's nothing to do with making art. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's great. Like <laughs> that's difficult, but the hard part is choosing that lifestyle, not knowing where your next paycheck is going to come from or not knowing, holding yourself against other people. Like that's the hard, that's the, the thing that, that'll, that'll make you quit. And, uh, so realizing that, if you consider yourself to be one of the ones that are truly serious, that not only is there enough work for all of you, because there is, and enough opportunities, but it, it shows you that by outlasting and, and being in, this, in the community, you're going to become important to it. Mm-hmm. But also, it encourages you to support the other members of the community, because in that same regard, like you don't want people to quit. You want, you want everybody around you to any things to keep going and so by being part of the community it's it's kind of a competitive support system which i like um so that was important and so my old business partner who when we founded stormlight it was three people now it's just me um but he he really helped me with that and uh the other big thing which i struggle with in everything and you know coming with again my lofty ambitions has been managing expectation. Um, and I, I do this with clients. I do this with relationships. I do this with everything. Um, it's managing expectation of what you think something's going to be. Cause the reality is, especially if you, if you sit down and make a film, you have so much vision for what this can be. But the reality is you're bringing in so many creative voices that it's going to be different than what mm-hmm. you think it, no matter what. And the, the goal is that you get, quality creative people in you give them agency in their own departments and it becomes better than you ever imagined it would have been. But that goes to your career goes to everything. It's like, if you have this expectation for what your career is going to be, 
even if you get 9.5 out of 10, you're going to be disappointed. Right. And you could have, you know, you, you could, if you think you're going to get a hundred Oscars and you only get 99, you're going to live your life sad. You know, it's (laughs) like, you have to realize that it's, it's the journey of it and you have to, you got to appreciate the journey of it and not set too many expectations. You know, you have goals, you have things you want to achieve, obviously. And you need to keep setting goals for yourself, but you also need to take it as it comes and be prepared to make the best of it. Yeah. I love that. Um, I guess that that's that's a big thing that that I've had to, had to realize in the past couple of years. Thank you for that. That was, yeah, it's like better than, than just getting a couple of quotes. That's, that's really valuable, uh, advice. I'm curious, you know, you've been doing this basically since you were 12 or 13 and you've always been really driven about it. I'm sure there are people out there that you'd loved in entertainment and film. Um, who, who are some of the, uh, directors that you wanted to emulate and, um, and what did they do from a skill or, or technical standpoint that, that sets them apart and makes them special to you? That's a good question. Um, so, I mean, recently, um, like recent creators, uh, Nicholas Reffin and James Gunn, people that, that really take, take the visual, um, and make it something impactful, but also focus on the vision first. So, my, I actually have one framed in my studio, but the storyboard for guardians of the galaxy that he put in the pitch pack looks terrible. It's like this terrible sketch storyboard. That's awful. And it looks worse than mine and mine are just the worst. So that was really cool for me to see was like the vision is what's most important. And these guys kind of focus on like, if you can sell the vision, you can find somebody to put in that role to make this come to life you just have to believe in that vision. And so that's always been big. Um, and that's been a big thing for me recently and recent creators, but I mean, and it's a little bit cliche, but it's comes down to the movie that made me want to make movies for real was Jurassic park for yeah. two reasons. It like was the first one that made me really, it was the first thing that I saw that was truly fantastic. Yeah. That was like bigger than I could imagine. And the other side, which I picked up on really early, because in kind of in my community, like in, in Maine, it's like one of those where everybody hates Taylor Swift and everybody hates like things that are popular. Um, but Jurassic Park is this film that is it's perfect as a film, like as a as a it tells everything it needs to say. You know, it's it's creative and gorgeous, but it was made in a way, going back to your point, that is commercial. And mm-hmm. could be, could connect with as many people as possible. And I, I've always tried to toe that line where like, there's, if 300 million people love something, you may even disagree with it, but you have to accept its value. And so that's always been like, how do you find that line where you can, that Spielberg seems to do every time he lines up mm-hmm. is how do you be creative and say something unique, but also create it for an audience so that it, it can appeal to as many people as possible. And so that's, that's been a big, big for me. I love that. Big question here. Um, you're 
you have experience doing a lot of things. So I know that for you, <laughs> this might, I, I want you to try your best to tailor it to what you do. But yeah. if you were, so, so I might actually tailor the question a little bit differently than I normally do. But if you had, like, let's say you brought in an apprentice and you had yeah. to teach them to do a shoot uh, and they had one month and they started at no experience, no skill level. They had one month to kind of be credible and, and, and be competent. What would be the first three things you would teach them? Um, well, and I, I've actually had a little bit of experience with this where like I've started taking on some interns and started working with and, um, I mean, the first thing I teach them is like to break down things that you don't know how to do in the way where you like uh, fully and, and what can you, what are you confident in and what are you not? And I, I don't care if you know what you're confident in or not. You just have to be confident. In. <laughs> like, um, but the things that you are unconfident in, yeah. what, what is like, what is that? And who do you need to fill that role? Cause you can't do it by yourself. So it's like, that would be the first thing. It's like, figure out what you're missing and find people to fill that gap. Mm -hmm. Um, and the second would be to not pay attention to what other people are doing, I guess, um, would be, cause I, I know that's my interest every time, you know, like you sit down to make a horror movie, you're going to be like, Oh, well what's trendy right now or what is happening or what is like, what did this auteur filmmaker do with this type of scene? And you're like, and that's, as far as how I work exactly the opposite it's you need to just focus on the story and, and you know, I'm a, I'm a cinephile and have plenty of, of knowledge of cinema in that way. But it's like, you have to kind of forget mm-hmm. what everybody else has done and just sit down and be like, how would you make this? And the other would be take everything you have and cut it down. Like, like, take everything you want to achieve and break it down to the absolute simplest format. Um, so so let, let me dig in there a little bit. What do you mean yeah. by that? So right down to say a shot list or scenes or so when I, you first write a screenplay, you're going to have 80 scenes, you know, with 10 locations and six characters and three of them you don't need. Mm-hmm. And it's figuring out what is absolutely essential to the story. If you just break down on a shot, you don't think about the composition. You think about where do these people need to be? How, how is this light organically happening in the environment? What, what blocking is motivating this thing? You, you find that once you break it down to, to truly telling that story, you're like, wow, this is really beautiful a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. It's like, and you, get, you surprise yourself that way where you're like, oh, if I'd sat down to make the cool shot, I never would have gotten here. And in that way with like, I do it with shot lists where you'll have like 30 shots in a scene. How can I do it with six Mm. or two or one? You know, it's like, especially when you're working with limited resources or working with things, there is often a way that's often the most beautiful way or the most important way is the simplest. Yeah. I feel like I saw you do this at the music video that, uh, set that I was on recently with you, uh, single set, mm-hmm. a couple of rooms, but multiple perspectives on the room. And, and so 
it ends up giving you a feel that the place is bigger than it really is. And in a sense that, that a lot more is going on than what might actually be going on. Now I haven't seen in full disclosure, I haven't seen the, the post of this. I haven't seen the, the final product, but, but I'm, I get a sense of what you're going for when you go through that shot list. That's cool. Yeah. Yes. It's still a work in progress, but <laughs> we'll get yeah. a lot of moving parts on stuff. That's yeah, kind and, of the and, challenge with working with creative people that are cool is people are busy, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's, it's been fun, but yeah, it's no problem. I'm looking forward to it. I just, I watched you go through your, through your progressions from, from sort of setup to setup and um, just was taking mental notes of how you do what you do, right? The, the speed in which you go from setup to setup too is pretty impressive. Um, uh, I, I thought that was amazing how much we actually got on camera. And I think I might've been there for an hour and a half at the most. Right. Um, pretty, pretty cool stuff. So Logan, you've been awesome. You've been super generous with your time. Of course, um, yeah. Thank you. I want to just ask you one more question. You mm-hmm. are obsessed with the show Mad Men. What is it about Mad Men that that you love so much? Uh, I think there's a darkness. Um, I, I like taking something and going back to the kind of the cinematic principle there, where all of the production in Mad Men is really simple. Like there's not a lot of crazy camera work or a lot of crazy stuff in there. It's, it's the attention to detail in the scenes that stands out. And yes. it's something that like in, in my own creative ambition, it's, it's finding, he's always trying to make the, the new best thing or something that, that can truly stand out. But the reality is like going back to that managing expectation is I love dark characters because the, the anti They're never hero. truly satisfied. Yeah, because they're never satisfied with that. Um, and I, I think that's... I always try to... Like, I, I joke that, like, my high is, like, when you have a scene and you, you have all the moving parts and it, it, only, it happens very rarely. And, and the, even on, like, massive sets, it happens rarely with great actors where you, like, feel it that you've just created something real. Like Mm -hmm. it's a real moment and you know, it's, it takes so much to get there. And I feel like they achieved it so often in that program because it was so simple because they, they let, there's a lot of detail in the environment, the set design and the the costumes. And because of that, they created this real environment and then just set up wide shots and let people exist. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I think that's cool. Um, so I think, I think that's one of the things is it's, it's truly like, let's the story speak. And in that way, a lot of the, the composition and a lot of the things are, are truly beautiful. And I don't know if they intended to make them that way or they were just trying to make, tell the story. Yeah. Um, but so I've always tried to emulate some stuff in there. I have a take that, that goes like this, but and only, and I only compare these two because they ran parallel, um, mm-hmm. in real time, but Breaking Bad is one of the greatest hour-long dramas of all time uh, in the current zeitgeist, like in the short run. Yeah. Mad Men will probably come out as the best one-hour drama of all time historically. I, I, would, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, it, it, still, it, it still plays. 
Yep. And and I, I think the thing is, is once you kind of know what happens to Walter White, then you don't need to know twice. Right. But, but the emotion of Mad Men, you can watch that over and over and over again. It's so freaking relatable. So when I when I learned that about you, I was like, oh, this is a man of my own heart. So uh, <laughs> well, I'm glad. Logan, tell everybody where they can find you on the Internet and on social media and where they might see your work. Yeah. So a lot of work on Instagram. Um, so Logan CTV is basically on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook. Um, and that's me as well as Stormlight Pictures. We have accounts for those. Um, and my website, stormlightpictures.com and YouTube. There's everywhere. If you search my, myself or the company, um, pretty, pretty broad stroke. And hopefully you'll see something with artists or creatives you follow that we've made with them recently through your, through your browsing. Yeah, for sure. Um, tons of YouTube videos out there, people. And uh, just so you know, and you can follow Logan, which you ought to do immediately uh, <laughs> listening to this, this conversation, it's L O G E in the letter C as in Chris TV. Um, and that's on Twitter, Instagram, and then stormlight, all one word pictures.com. Logan, you're the best man. Thank you so much. Dude, appreciate it. Anytime. All right, let's talk soon. Kick it soon. And I'll be in touch about some other things that uh, we talked about offline. Awesome. Sounds good, man. All right, brother. Be good. You too. Thanks. Right, bye. Bye. You've been listening to the make it podcast. To find more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects, social media, and transcripts of this interview, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash podcast. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.